MSW Media. Big shout out today to Helix Sleep. Take their two-minute sleep quiz and they'll match you to a mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans and use code HELIXPARTNER. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, June 29th, 2023. Today, Rudy Giuliani sat for a proffer session with Jack Smith's team. The New York Times confirmed that the DOJ wanted to search Bedminster. Arizona Governor Katie Hobbs issues two pro-LGBTQ plus executive orders. Another federal judge blocks another transgender care ban. And Joe Biden speaks about Bidenomics. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hey, Dana. Happy Thursday. To you as well, my friend. I this think has been you. a good week. It has. It's been a very interesting and good week in the news. Um, there's been some ups and downs, but I think overall it's been great and I think it's going to continue to get better. So we thank everybody for listening and thanks to our patrons too. I just want to give a shout out to our patrons. You make the show possible. We appreciate you so much. And um, seriously, uh, we couldn't do it without you. Also, we have some Rudy Giuliani news to get to in the in the Jack Smith investigation, and I'll, I'll go over that in the hot notes, and we're going to cover it in depth on the Jack podcast this weekend. But also, uh, Raffensperger sat today for his interview in Atlanta with Jack Smith and his team. So That's a big deal. Yep. Seems like all this is wrapping up, because he'd be one of the last ones to get in there, you know, to, to put before the grand jury. They're probably just grand jury prep. I don't know. Uh, we don't have really any in public-facing information on what happened there. And also, as predicted on the Jack podcast, the Times confirmed Jack Smith's subpoenaed surveillance footage last year for Bedminster, and they wanted to execute a search warrant. But the judge decided to allow a third-party search of the property. And, and it looks like Epstein tried to intervene in that and Parlatoria was running it. We're going to talk about that on the Jack podcast this weekend as well. Later in the show, I'm going to be speaking to the co-founder of the Progressive Change Campaign Committee. That's the PCCC, Adam Green. And we're going to talk about how we can actually unpack the Supreme Court ahead of the 2024 election. And it's not what you think. So you definitely want to stick around for that interview. All right. We have a lot of news to get to today. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. Hey, Dana, remember when Rudy Giuliani said that he had a, a, quote, insurance policy if Trump ever threw him under the bus? Do you remember that? Why, yes. Yes, I do. Do we have something on this? Oh, well, from the Times today, Rudy Giuliani, Trump's former personal lawyer, was interviewed last week by federal prosecutors investigating Trump's effort to overturn the 2020 election. The voluntary interview, which took place under what is known as a proffer agreement, was a significant development in the election interference investigation led by Jack Smith and the latest indication that Smith and his team are actively seeking witnesses who might cooperate. The session with Rudy touched on some of the most important aspects of the special counsel's inquiry into the ways that Trump sought to maintain his grip on power after he lost uh, the election to Biden. A proffer agreement, and I'm going to talk about this with Andy, because he's done a million of these on the Jack podcast this weekend. A proffer agreement is an understanding between prosecutors and people who are subjects of criminal investigations that can precede a formal cooperation deal. The subject agrees to provide 
all information they have, useful information to the government, sometimes to tell their side of events, to stave off potential charges or avoid testifying under subpoena before the grand jury. In exchange, prosecutors agree not to use those statements against them in future criminal proceedings unless it's determined they were lying. That's a big deal. It's called a queen for a day interview. Prosecutors use this all the time. And prosecutors working with Smith asked Giuliani about the plan to create fake slates of pro-Trump electors in key swing states that were actually won by Biden. And they focused specifically on the role played in that effort by John Eastman, another lawyer who advised Trump about ways to stay in office. Remember, Eastman and Trump were found by Judge Carter in California to have more likely than not committed crimes. Mm -hmm. Specifically, Title 18 U.S. Code 371 and 1512C2. Yay. Mr. Giuliani also discussed Sidney Powell, a lawyer who briefly tied to Mr. Trump's campaign and who made baseless claims about a cabal of foreign actors hacking into voting machines to steal the election from Trump. An appeals court, by the way, today upheld the sanctions against Sidney Powell in Michigan. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> the person familiar with this who's speaking on the condition of anonymity said that prosecutors further asked Rudy about the scene at the Willard days before the attack on the Capitol. Uh, you know, Giuliani and a group of close Trump advisors, including Eastman, uh, Bannon, Boris Epstein, Mike Flynn, Owen Schroyer, who's now cooperating. They all gathered at the hotel near the White House to discuss strategies before the mob attacked the Capitol. Now, the, the proffer session with Rudy, elements of which were reported earlier by CNN, came as Jack Smith's team pressed ahead with its election interference inquiry of Trump, even as it prepares for the former president's trial on separate charges, <laughs> putting national security secrets at risk and obstructing the government's effort to recover national defense information, classified documents. And again, Andy and I are going to go in depth on this weekend's episode of Jack. So you really want to stay tuned for that. And this is from Sharon Tankersley at The Times. President Biden began a concerted campaign on Wednesday to claim credit for an economic revival in America, powered by policies that he said represent a fundamental break from the Republican approach, and I quote, that has failed America's middle class for decades. This is really important. Now, flanked by blue signs with the word Bidenomics, Bidenomics, Mr. Biden delivered what aides called a cornerstone speech of his presidency. In it, he hailed the impact of his economic agenda as the 2024 campaign cycle is heating up. This is a quote, the trickle-down approach failed the middle class. This is what he told an audience of about 200 supporters in Chicago, referring to economic policies favoring lower taxation for the wealthy that were popularized by Ron Reagan in the 1980s. Went on to say it failed America. It blew up the deficit, it increased inequity, and it weakened our infrastructure. It stripped the dignity, pride, and hope out of communities one after another. Ooh. Now, by contrast, Mr. Biden asserted that his willingness to plunge the American government more directly into supporting key industries like silicon chips has revitalized manufacturing. He said investments in building crumbling infrastructure have begun to pave the way for growth. And he insisted that spending billions of dollars on programs like student debt relief will let more people find their way to comfortable middle-class life. Another quote, when I ran, I came into office determined to change the economic direction of this country. This is what Joe Biden said, later urging union leaders and perhaps a reminder for himself, if you will, that you've got to brag a little more about what you do. Now, <laughs> the Biden administration officials acknowledge there is more work to do in bringing down inflation, but they noted it has fallen for 11 straight months now. 
The Council of Economic Advisors estimates that inflation is now lower in the United States than in any other wealthy group of seven nation. Uh, Okay. Now, Mr. Biden, oh, Joe, has signed trillions of dollars in economic legislation since taking office. That includes a $1.9 trillion package to hasten recovery from the pandemic recession, and which economists say contributed to at least some degree to rising inflation and bipartisan bills to invest in infrastructure and advanced manufacturing. On party lines, Democrats also passed an energy, climate, and tax bill that has already led to new factory announcements of electric vehicles, batteries, and more. So that's already been doing some positive stuff. Administration officials this week released new analysis to underscore how those laws are beginning to boost the economy. The Treasury Department calculated that the historical pace of investment in manufacturing construction led by semiconductor factories targeted by one of the bipartisan bills, has essentially doubled this year after adjusting for inflation. The Energy Department said low emissions energy jobs like offshore wind, that has risen by 4% last year. Man. Yeah. yeah. It's, he's, I'm glad he's getting on the road and touting the, the Bidenomics because it's, it's truly incredible what he's been able to do after, the, after what he was dealt Oh, every time, every time a Democrat comes in for a Republican president, they have to clean up a big fucking mess. Yeah, yeah, they sure do. And I guess Bidenomics is it got better ring to it than Obamanomics. Obamanomics. Okay. Yeah, but I've still, I would have liked, I wanted them to use Obamanomics, but they did not. Anyway, uh, next up from the Associated Press, in one of my home states, Arizona, right? You know, I was born in Ohio, but I I was raised in Arizona. Arizona Governor Katie Hobbs, well done, by the way, Mm -hmm. Arizona, in electing Katie Hobbs, issued a two pro-LGBTQ plus executive orders on Tuesday, banning state support of so-called conversion therapy and allowing transgender state employees to receive gender-affirming health care under their insurance plan. Hobbs made the announcement from the offices of Central Phoenix Nonprofit that focuses on helping LGBTQ plus youth. Under the executive actions, state agencies will be prohibited from using funds to promote or facilitate conversion therapy. That's the scientifically discredited practice of using therapy to convert LGBTQ plus people to heterosexuality or traditional gender expectations. Also, state employee health insurance plans can no longer list gender-affirming surgery as ineligible for coverage. A ban on such coverage was enacted in 2017. The change will impact former and current state employees and public university workers. That order effectively resolves an ongoing lawsuit brought in 2019 by Dr. Russell Toomey, a University of Arizona professor who is transgender and sought coverage for a medically necessary surgery. ACLU attorney representing Toomey said Tuesday they will file a motion to settle their case. One of Hobbs's orders also says state agencies cannot cooperate with civil and criminal cases in states where gender-affirming health care is illegal. So that's huge. No Arizona state agency will cooperate with a state in civil and criminal cases if that state bans gender-affirming health care. Elections matter, people. Getting Katie Hobbs in there was a huge deal, not just because the crazy woman is not running the governorship, if said a word, in Arizona, but because Katie Hobbs is doing a fantastic job and doing what she was elected to do. Yes. Unlike some of the other politicians in Arizona. 
Let me continue Ooh. with the last mm. story. Hmm, who Ooh. would that be? Yeah, Nancy Pelosi may have just done a fundraiser for her <laughs> competition. Opponent. Yeah. Okay. Cinema. I think you're talking about cinema. Yeah, more good news on this front. Even if it's temporary, a federal judge temporarily blocked Kentucky's ban on gender-affirming care for transgender youth on Wednesday, taking the action shortly before the measure was set to take effect. This is a big deal. In issuing the preliminary injunction, U.S. District Judge David Hale sided with seven transgender minors and their parents who sued the state officials responsible for enforcing the provisions banning the use of puberty blockers and hormones. And this is a quote, justice is served today as the most egregious parts of Kentucky's anti-trans law are struck down by a federal judge. That's from Chris Hartman, executive director of the Fairness Campaign, which is a Kentucky-based LGBTQ plus advocacy group. Kentucky Republican Attorney General Daniel Cameron called it a misguided decision that tramples the right of state lawmakers to make public policy for the state. Mm. Cameron said his office will continue doing everything in our power to defend the measure, Mm. which is a bunch of bullshit, because if you ask the voters of Kentucky, I guarantee they're in the minority of the people that want to actually ban transgender health care. At least 20 states have now enacted laws restricting or banning gender-affirming medical care for transgender minors, and most of those states face lawsuits because they're unfucking constitutional A federal judge struck down Arkansas's ban as unconstitutional last week, and federal judges have temporarily blocked bans in Alabama and Indiana. Oklahoma's agreed to not enforce its ban while opponents seek a temporary court order blocking it. A federal judge has blocked Florida from enforcing its ban on three children who have challenged the law. In their lawsuit, the Kentucky plaintiffs claim that the prohibition interferes with parental rights to seek established medical treatment for their children. The plaintiffs requested a preliminary injunction to prevent the disputed portion of the law from taking effect on Thursday. Now, in his order, Hale concluded that the plaintiffs showed, and I quote, a strong likelihood of success on the merits of their constitutional challenges to the contested portion of the measure. In his order, the judge said that if this disputed sections were allowed to take effect, they would eliminate treatments that have already significantly benefited six of the seven minor plaintiffs and prevented other transgender children from accessing these beneficial treatments in the future. Hmm. So he's saying that if this passes, you would be taking away life-saving health care. And I do mean it's life-saving health care mm-hmm. for these kids who have already successfully grown from it. They're thriving because they are being treated as they need to be with medicine. It's just, it's just that simple, period. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're they're falling like dominoes. They are, but these kids should not have to be fucking testifying in front of their state legislatures. They should be able to just be kids. Yeah. No, I agree. You know, good for them. I mean, the courage. I'm not talking about the courage to be transgender. That is just you living your life. I'm talking about the courage to stand up in front of adults, legislators, and tell them why they are wrong. Mm-hmm. That and is impressive. Now. And, and the to court have to go to court and be questioned. You know, the cruelty is the point. It always has been. As it has, as our friend Mary Trump has said, it has indeed. The people who make these laws know that they'll get overturned. They know they're unconstitutional, but they're they're just trying to stir up hate. Yep. Yeah. Well, I'm going to keep falling like dominoes, like I said. And the drag bans, too, also unconstitutional. Yeah, absolutely. They already have been. Mm-hmm. All right, everybody, we're going to be right back with the co-founder of the PCCC, Adam Green. We're going to talk about the Supreme Court and a bunch of other work that the PCCC is doing. You don't want to miss this interview. Stick around. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. 
Hey, everybody, it's AG. You know, sleeping is my favorite thing and slipping into sleep has never been so easy. My mattress from Helix Sleep has the perfect balance between comfort and support. It honestly feels like this mattress was designed just for me because it was before Helix. I didn't know sleep could be this good. Just go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life, and you'll get 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows. Helix offers an impressive range of 20 unique mattresses, including award-winning collections, special designs for larger individuals and children, and the newly unveiled Elite Collection. Discover your own perfect Helix mattress by taking their innovative sleep quiz, and within two minutes, you could have a tailor-made mattress journeying to your door free of cost. Helix has a mattress to match anyone. Mine is the Helix Midnight, perfect for anyone who sleeps on their side and prefers a medium firm bed. Let me tell you, I have never had a better night's sleep, head and shoulders above any other mattress I've ever owned, hands down. They have over 12,000 five-star reviews and counting, so I'm not the only one who loves their Helix. And they're so certain you'll love your mattress that they offer a generous 100-night in-home trial and a robust 10 to 15-year warranty. So if you're seeking a new mattress, take the sleep quiz, order your own custom mattress, and the best sleep of your life will be on the way. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans and use code HELIXPARTNER. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. So I want to talk for a minute about the Progressive Change Campaign Committee. The PCCC is a progressive PAC, and it focuses on a whole host of issues like expanding Social Security, debt-free college, student debt cancellation, Medicare for all, Wall Street reform and accountability, taxing billionaires. And today, I am very honored to be joined by one of the co-founders of the Progressive Change Campaign Committee. Please welcome Adam Green. Adam, hello. Hello there. Great to be with you. It is so good to talk to you. I'm so beyond amazed and thankful for the work that you're doing. Can you talk a little bit about the PCCC and also, you know, why you're a co-founder? What what prompted you to to get into this, to start this? Sure. Well, my co-founder, Stephanie Taylor, and I have been around you know, democratic and progressive politics for a number of years and had a realization about 14 years ago that there really just wasn't enough infrastructure to support progressive candidates in particular. And we heard all these horror stories of amazing people, nurses, doctors, teachers, running for office for the first time and coming like one point away from beating incumbents. And we're like, ah, oh, if only they had competent campaigns, if only they had a grassroots army on their side. So you know, a lot of people have heard of the DCCC, we're the PCCC, <laughs> help progressives. And our model has changed a little bit over the years. Right now, we're about half elections and half issue advocacy. You know, we've given very early support to people like Elizabeth Warren and Katie Porter, Pramila Jayapal, Jamie Raskin, Maxwell Frost this past cycle, Mm -hmm. all current members of Congress, where we were one of their first endorsers and really kind of built a relationship with them. And then we're one of the very unique groups that actually has a lobbying shop on Capitol Hill, uh, really kind of representing progressives in the corridors of power, building inside-outside partnerships so that they are fueled by a grassroots army. One one thing we find is that a lot of members don't actually talk to each other. So we're kind of the glue behind the scenes helping to pull together conversations on many of the issues that you talked about a minute or two ago. And then we have a grassroots army that can um, do issue advocacy publicly. So we kind of go back and forth between getting new people into power and then trying to use that power, especially when Democrats have power. So here we are. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, some of these issues are are just absolutely so important. And I want to talk to you a little bit about the Biden administration accomplishments, but what more can and should be being done and focused on because you know the you know the first step one of the plan is to get you know 
people at the table who we can push left. And so now that we've done that and we're doing that, we want to talk more about what else can be done. And some of the things, like something you've been working on really hard, and I want to get to taxing the billionaires in a second, but I also want to talk about what's going on in local politics, especially at our school boards, because you have been doing so much important work with regard to the what I call it all-out assault and attack on our school boards and schools. Talk a little bit about what, you, what you've been able to accomplish and organize with regard to our school boards. Sure. So I should say that m- most of the brilliant ideas for our organization come from my co-founder, Stephanie Taylor, and she realized several cycles ago that we need to do a lot to support state and local candidates. And what we've done is build scaled infrastructure, um, ranging from a very good kind of first-rate training program where before COVID, we flew hundreds of candidates to DC and trained them how to talk on camera, how to apply for endorsements, how to calculate their win number, how to recruit volunteers, how to talk to donors and stuff like that. And I should say for anybody listening, boldprogressives.org is where candidates can still sign up for these resources. We also have some free technology or near-free technology that we allow candidates to have that saves them thousands of thousands of dollars. And oftentimes a school board race entire budget is $5,000. So if you you know, blow your first 1500 bucks on a website that we can pretty much give you for free, you know, that's a big cost savings. So there's a scaled stuff that we've done and really helped, you know, in, a, in addition to actually fundraising through our grassroots memberships for some target candidates, we've helped like hundreds of people on the state, local and federal level over the years. And what we announced this past week is a more surgical Save Our School Boards campaign, which will you know, take a more intentional and a little bit more deeper approach to targeting school board races where the right, where the Trump-aligned donor class has already announced that they will be targeting, right? If you're a Koch brother and you're trying to decide, well, let's see, do I spend another billion dollars on Donald Trump or do I spend a couple hundred thousand dollars on school board races and use that to erase Rosa Parks and, um, you know, say the Antifa is responsible for civil unrest and all the other stuff that they're actually doing in actual school districts. Let's erase... Amanda Gorman, the poet laureate who spoke at mm. Biden's inauguration, like it's crazy what they're doing. Well, we we want to make sure that there's um, you know real infrastructure supporting progressive school board candidates. And just after announcing this last week, after it was reported by ABC News and the American Prospect and Slitico and some other places, and now on your podcast, what we found is that school board candidates across the country are reaching out to us saying, "I need these resources." So again, boldprogressives.org is where is where uh, the locus of activity is. And we really look forward to working with some inspiring candidates. And today's school board member is tomorrow's member of Congress and eventually the president, assuming, assuming democracy survives that long. Yeah. And, and I think it's so important. And, you know, we talk about this on, on our show all the time that uh, how local, local politics trickles up to, to national politics. So with that in mind, I want to talk about some of uh, the Biden administration accomplishments. He's about to kick off a tour to talk about Bidenomics and uh, all of the things that this administration has been able to accomplish. Talk a little bit about uh, some of the work you've done on that and then also some of the work you want to do in the future to continue moving, moving that to more progressive uh, ideals. Sure. And I'm, I'm really glad that you mentioned that it's important that we get our people on the inside of government. Uh, this is one more, <laughs> just to give my co-founder a bunch of credit. I mean, one brainchild she had about a year before the last presidential election was building a piece of infrastructure that basically represented Elizabeth Warren's personnel is policy mantra. And what we did was we built this giant database full of super credentialed progressive individuals, people who had served in prior administrations, 
people who were local school board or state legislator type people, people who served in their state government or worked at universities and had a giant database that a bunch of progressive groups could then um, say, we think this person should get this job and other, other groups could plus one that recommendation. And we turned this batch of data over to the Biden uh, transition and they hired a bunch of these people. And now that was very influential in forming the Build Back Better agenda, um, crafting things like the cancel student debt policy. And when we think about what more Biden can do, you know, one turn of phrase that the Biden administration has used that I really like is, you know, finishing the unfinished business of the Biden agenda. Well, when I think about that, I think about all these progressive ideas that thanks to a lot of hard work by progressive movement actors got into the Build Back Better agenda that Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema basically tossed to the cutting room floor, mm-hmm. many of which were one or two votes away in the Senate from passing into law. Things like universal childcare, things like universal free K, things like a billionaire's tax, things like more taxes on uh, Wall Street and private equity, you know, pri- just closing all sorts of co- corporate loopholes to pay for this stuff. Things like the child tax credit, right? There's all these great things that aren't 51, 49 polling propositions. These are 80, 20, 90, 10 issues that, again, just a couple bought off politicians, you know, even in our party, stymied. But we have an opportunity, especially with John Fetterman now in the Senate, we're just one vote away from doing a lot of great stuff. So that's part of how I think about what Joe Biden can do in the future. You know, there's a couple promises that weren't, that were represented on the campaign trail that weren't in that agenda. One of the top ones is the public option, creating a public uh, insurance company to compete head-to-head with private insurance. You know, He did not embrace Medicare for all, but he embraced this thing that many people see as an important down payment and glide path towards Medicare for all. And we need to pass it as soon as possible so that fast forward several more years, we can keep building on that. Mm-hmm. So you know, I've, I've actually been broaching the question in DC about you know, what, is the, what is our plan for actually getting the public option in 2025? And how do we build the groundwork in 2023, 2024? And then the last thing I would mention is, you know, we just released some polling with Data for Progress maybe about a month and a half ago now, particularly on the issue of banking and what Joe Biden's reaction to the SVB bank collapse was. You know, it collapsed over a weekend and he gave a big speech that Monday where he basically proposed two things. He proposed re-regulating the banks after they were deregulated during Trump with the help of some corporate aligned Democrats and also clawing back executive salaries and bonuses, really some looting that they, that they did on the way out the door. In some cases, I mean, literally the last day, that Friday before their bank collapse on Saturday, they were paying themselves bonuses, mm-hmm. right? Again, this is not a 51-49 issue. This is like a 99 to 1 issue. Nobody's rooting for those guys. And, you know, putting those two things together, it was about 82% popularity for this proposal of re-regulation and claw back the money. Only 10% of people heard Joe Biden talk a lot about it, our poll found. Mm. And for me, that is actually one of the big challenges for the year for progressives. There's all these things where we've kind of banked the success of a U.S. president going on the record for issues that we've worked on for years, taxing billionaires, expanding Social Security, you know, universal child care, re-regulating the banks, clawing back money from the bankers. But we need to help Joe Biden and help the Democratic Party as a whole turn up the volume on these issues so that when people are asked two weeks before the election in 2024, like they were in 2022, which party do you trust more in economics they do not continue to absurdly say Republicans. That is one of the most nauseating poll numbers I see. And it's crazy, but I really think it's less a messaging issue and more of a volume issue around our messaging. And that's why there's some things that we have burning right now that we're, uh, are aimed at that goal of increasing the volume on popular positions Democrats have already staked out. 
Yeah. And it has to be a volume, you know, turn up the volume on the messaging because a lot of this infrastructure and, you know, things like the getting everybody broadband by 2030 and the, you know, uh, infrastructure building and repairing uh, bridges and roads. None, we're not going to see that for another decade. We're not going to see the the impact of that. So it has to be. We have to rely on the messaging. And if only 10% of the people are hearing it, that's a problem. So yeah, turning up the volume, definitely an incredible and valuable focus that the PCCC is working on. One last thing I want to talk to you about before I let you go, and that's the the Supreme Court. It's at an all-time low approval rating, and deservedly so. What could a second term do to help shape the the judiciary because we know Biden has set the record I believe for for federal judgeships and a very diverse uh, pool of of judges that he's nominated and have been confirmed but looking ahead to to the Supreme Court what what sort of work is the PCCC focusing on there sure it's funny I would actually differentiate the question of what could a second term do to what is the short term imperative that we're focused on. Mm. You know, the most obvious thing for a second a second term of Joe Biden is, you know, Clarence Thomas, one way or another, eventually will get off the court. And, you know, the next president or the next presidential term might be the one that replaces him. That would be a, a major shift in the math on the court. And, uh, you know, a lot of good things could happen from that. You know, maybe there'll be a second retirement as well. And as you, as you mentioned, it's an increased opportunity to continue putting more judges on the federal bench. Now, there's a couple imperatives, you know, in addition to that, that you might not hear on the normal news. One is that all Democratic appointed judges are not created equal. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing that um, thanks to a lot of movement groups, um, uh, especially a lot of civil rights groups, have been successful on is getting Joe Biden to appoint more people who are public defenders and come from the public service realm, right? There are some Democratic aligned corporate attorneys who might be fine on abortion, might be fine on affirmative action, but are going to rule against workers every time, going to work, you know, rule with um, landlords, not tenants, right? Just make a lot of corporate and kind of big guy, powerful elite people, you know, keeping them in power when we really need people who at least have been exposed (laughs) to the plight of the little guy and the plight of the powerless. So I I do think that there's kind of a below the, the surface uh, conversation still happening about how can we increase the percent of people that are in that field. But here's here's the thing that I've been thinking most about, and I'm really excited to talk to you about, which is this you know this idea of increasing the volume around calling the Supreme Court illegitimate or corrupt. Mm. Um, you know, we were talking, my, my co-founder Stephanie and I were talking with a senator the week that the Dobbs decision was leaked before it officially came out, and they were saying to us that there's very few people on the expand the Supreme Court bill in the Senate. There, I, I believe there are still only three senators on that. And, you know, we asked, oh, huh, why is it so few? And they pointed out to us, you know, there's actually two questions wrapped up in any reform proposal, whether it's expand the court or term limits or ethics reform for the court. The first question is, do you accept that the court is increasingly illegitimate? Do you diagnose the problem? The second is, well, are you ready to sign on the dotted line for a specific solution? And their point was that, you know, they thought a lot more of their Senate colleagues were willing to state the problem than sign on the dotted line for any one solution. Well, that seemed like progress for us. You know, I was actually very worried last year that voters would not think that Democrats, you know, quote unquote, get it when it comes to the systemic problem with the court, right? The idea that this is not normal. It's not just that we object to a court decision and think it was poorly decided. It's that we are calling into question the, the, the institution itself as a legitimate <laughs> arbiter um, you know, of, of things like overturning Roe versus Wade or possibly this week overturning 
um, affirmative action in colleges. So we uh, did some polling with another group called Demand Progress using a group called um, a very established pollster, Heart Research. And what we found, we, did, we, we wanted to figure out how to message this. And the phrase that this Supreme Court is increasingly facing a legitimacy crisis pulled very well. And we then distributed that, that result to Capitol Hill, asking people, no matter what you say about any court decision about to come out, and at the time it was Dobbs, it was a gun decision, it was an EPA decision about the climate, all of which ended up being bad. Hmm. We were like, can you please add this one line? This Supreme Court is increasingly facing a, a legitimacy crisis. And within 24 hours, uh, dozens of members of Congress did this. We had people like Sheldon Whitehouse, who's a huge authority on this issue, mm, and yeah. Brian Schatz and Elizabeth Warren. We had Hakeem Jeffries use this language and, mm. and Jamie Raskin and Jerry Nadler and others, others in the House. Some people that we didn't even have very strong relationships with. Grace Napolitano, uh, <laughs> Congressman, I think, from California. You know, she used it after getting our memo. And we're doing that again now. And surprise, surprise, several weeks later, John Roberts gave a big, <laughs> we are legitimate speech. Yep. You know, doth protest too much. Mm. And since then, Alito has spoken out about this. And here's why I think it matters. Imagine that we are facing another Bush versus Gore situation in 2024, right? We're not going to pass any, any, any version of Supreme Court expansion, and we're not going to appoint anybody else to the bench if we don't have a properly functioning election in 2024. And imagine if it comes to that Supreme Court moment again. My question is, will they be as brazen as they were in the Dobbs decision? where they were citing 1400s common law in England and other crazy stuff to come to a predetermined outcome, right? They just felt no shame. Or will they be on their best behavior? Will they feel like their legacy is, is, is under siege, is threatened, and you know, rightly so? Mm-hmm. And, and therefore, you know, will they do the right thing if it's really not a close call? Yeah. And you know, that's why I think it's very important that this drumbeat has continued so much and this you know, Clarence Thomas corruption and Alito corruption, taking all these favors, vacations, gifts, houses from billionaires mm. really feeds this legitimacy and corruption narrative. So that's where my head is right now. I, I want to live to fight to 2025 <laughs> so that we can do so, so many things on the court, on the Biden agenda, so we can build power, people going from the local to state to presidency. And, you know, if we lose this next election, it really could be the end of a lot of democratic norms. That's kind of where our, our head's been if that makes any sense. No, it makes total sense. I mean, the idea being we don't have time to unpack the court by the 2024 election. And I like I like the phrase unpack the court, not, a you know, I just because yeah, the, like it that. was the Republicans who packed it. Yeah. Unpack the Supreme Court. We don't have time to do that. So make the message that you're facing a legitimacy crisis so that these Supremes, you know, think twice about making awful, horrible decisions. And I think we're seeing a tiny bit of that after what happened with Dobbs. We're seeing sort of, you know, we didn't get, I was honestly, I, 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 even though it was a a horrible, stupid argument, I was worried about the, the independent state legislature, Moore v. Harper. Yeah, me too. That went the correct way. And I feel like that has to do with some of this pressure that you and other groups, but you know, PCCC are putting on the court by reaching out to our lawmakers to amend their messaging. You know, I think it's as simple as that. It's it's what we can do between now and the next election cycle, at least. So that, that is exactly right. That's exactly right. And the one thing I would say to anybody who's skeptical about that, I think you make the most important point, which is they've already showed that they will blink, right? Mm-hmm. A couple of recent decisions the last couple of weeks, staying the Texas abortion pill case so they could actually reach the Supreme Court. And, you know, there was a fear that that might actually be taken off the market a couple of months ago. 
That's the most important thing. But redrawing the maps in several states, redrawing and then the maps, North Carolina, yeah. Morvey Harper, you know, and, yeah. and upholding the little, you know, little tiny pieces of the Voting Rights Act that they gutted a while back, ten years yeah. ago. But yeah, it is. I think it is that messaging, and I think we need to to really home in on that and drive it home. And, and so that's why I think I'm so, so impressed with the work that you're doing. And I want to ask if you can tell everybody where they can support this work that you're doing. I know you've given the website. I want you to give it one more time and tell people where they can also follow you on social media to find out what's going on, what the latest is and how they can continue to help. Because, you know, there's more ways to help than donations. Donations are incredible, but there's so much more that we can do. Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity. So again, boldprogressives.org is where you can both learn more about us and um, you know, put your email in there. And we promise to treat it well. We don't give it away, but we definitely give people opportunities to, to partake in really effective act- activism. And on social media, if you're on Twitter, it's at boldprogressive, singular, because we ran out of uh, characters. And I am at Adam Green. And similarly on Facebook at Bold Progressives or, you know, slash Bold Progressives. So we really um, value every person that joins the fight and learns more about us. And thank you so much for being such a valuable voice in American um, dialogue. It really is important that you have this platform. Ah, I appreciate that so much. Everybody, co-founder of Progressive Change Campaign Committee. That's the PCCC. Thank you again for, for all of this work that you're doing. Adam Green. Yep. Take care. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hi, I'm Liz Winstead. I'm Moji Alawode-L. And we're the hosts of Feminist Buzzkills, the only weekly podcast dedicated to keeping you informed while making you laugh as we all navigate this post-Roe v. Wade hellscape. The Supreme Court has declared that all of our uteri are just Airbnbs for the seat of the patriarchy. So every week we break down all the garbage news from that sketchy intersection of abortion and misogyny with the abortion providers and activists we need to be hearing from right now. Plus, we talk to your favorite comedians. Because face it, if your revolution doesn't have laughter, you're doing it wrong. Feminist Buzzkills drops Fridays wherever you get your podcasts. Listen, subscribe, join us on Patreon. Because when BS is popping, we pop off. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, if you want to play what the mutt where you have a DNA test done on your uh, adoption puppy or your mutt and we, you want to see if we can poorly and badly try to guess what breeds are in there, you could send us <laughs> send us that information. Uh, also, if you, I can guess your horse breed. I'm much better at that for some reason. I don't know why. It's called What the Heck Wine. You can play that. Shout out to a loved one. Shout out to a small business in your area. If you don't have pod pet tax to share, you can share an adoptable pet from where you live. Anything you want to send us, send it to dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Uh, also, I just want to remind everybody, I'll be at a virtual event that is uh, today, June 29th at 5.30 p.m. Pacific to help raise funds for our friend Steve Pearson. He's running for California Assembly. Listeners know Steve is the co-host of the How We Win podcast. We raised like half a million dollars for Biden and Harris and Ossoff and Warnock, remember? Well, now we can help Steve win. Yes. And I'll be joining forces with Jennifer Fernandez, uh, Ancona, Jessica Craven, and Brian Tyler Cohen, who just got picked up by MSNBC to be a contributor, by the way. RSVP using the link in the show notes and donating to the campaign. Steve can win this thing and we can all help. So we'll see you there. It's today, June 29th, 
5.30 p.m. Pacific. All right, first up from Pam. Pronouns she and her. Hello there. I belong to the Portland chapter of the Dykes on Bikes. Nice. Yes, I am a 61-year-old grandma, and I love to ride my Jolene. Hell yeah. (laughs) I named my motorcycle Jolene because my wife says that's the only thing she's jealous of. Please don't (laughs) take my man. Jolene, Jolene. (laughs) The PDX chapter of the DOB focuses on community events and community support. Every year, we get more requests to show support for our smaller Oregon and Washington Pride events. In the last couple of weeks, we've gone to Tigard, Oregon City, Newburgh, and Beaverton Pride events and supported some of our drag story times in the area. I just want to encourage everyone that can support our LGBTQ plus community when possible. It is very much needed. I've included just a few pictures along with one of me in the parade riding. I would also like to give a shout out to Auntie Don's Custom Cookies, a local bakery. They've been receiving hate messages and threats for their support of the queer community. If you're in Portland or Vancouver, show your support. That would be greatly appreciated. It's called Auntie Dawn's, D-A-W-N-S, Custom Cookies. You can find them on Facebook. Thanks for all you do, A.G. and D.G. Fuck yeah. I might go and Google Auntie Dawn's to see if they ship. Look at these cookies. Uh, Yes. They're beautiful. They're gorgeous. I'm going to go on right after we're done recording. I want a motorcycle again. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. The Dykes on Bikes all over the country is incredible. I mean, they they always lead up the LA Pride Parade. They lead the New York Pride Parade. It's just, they're awesome. The Dykes on Bikes are awesome. All right. This is from Anonymous Pronouns. She and her. Hello. We're a small mom and mom. Finer dining establishment called Chef Shack in a small rural village called Bay City, Wisconsin. We're driving our food truck to our local town parade mid-July to celebrate summer and our gay pride. In a village of 420, (laughs) our townsies love us in the red area. Would you please give us a shout out? We love your podcast. All of our staff listens to your show. We also frequently sing Daily Beans, Daily Beans. Sending love from rural Wisconsin, Carrie and Lisa from Chef Shack, Bay City. All right. If you're in the area and you see the food truck for Chef Shack, go support Carrie and Lisa. They're adorable on the cover of this little lavender magazine, too. I love it. Oh, so, so, so awesome. I wonder if Bay City is like where the Bay City Rollers got their name. 420 Mm. residents. Awesome. This is so, so cool. (laughs) All right, everybody. Yeah, definitely check out Chef Shack. Now I want... Do they deliver to California? Can I... (laughs) Oh my God, now I want to get cookies and Chef Shack. Yep, nope, me too. Samesies. All right, I'm going to take the next two here from Susan, pronouns she, her. This is Zola. She's a sphinx cat. We live in Canada where it's not ideal to have no fur. So my solution is clothes. (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) What an adorable baby. I love Mm. the nakies. And from Landa Banana, pronouns she and her. Hello, Beanie Babies. I absolutely love you and our wonderful community. Words are never enough. I recently found this old photo of me when I was about one year old. I was a Navy brat in Hawaii, and my dad took this about 60 years ago. Sadly, my dad died just before COVID hit. I sometimes feel like I didn't get to fully grieve his loss or celebrate his life. So when I found this treasure on Father's Day, it was such a healing delight. I was kind of a cute little fart. (laughs) You were a very cute little fart. Navy brat in Hawaii. My dad was in Hawaii uh, on Wheeler in 1967, 68. So huh. look at this cutie. So cute. Spanky. 
So cute. I know this one looks short, but I'm going to take it. You're going to close this out because the next one is longer and it's the last one. Okay. This is from Barb in Paradise. No pronouns given. After 18 long months without a canine companion, I am again with Pooch. Went to the shelter for a one to two year old girl and ended up somehow with this boy puppy, Erwin, <laughs> a.k.a. Chronoface. Still planning on going back for one of the girls I met at the shelter, but here we are. Look at his sweet face. Look at the uh, the markings over his eyes make it look like he's constantly like, is that okay? I know. <laughs> what a sweet baby. I'm so oh, glad you're happy. Beautiful. He's going to be big. Oh, yeah. Look at that sweet baby. Thank you for sending that in. I love these. Uh, all right, Danny, pronouns she and her. I'm a middle school teacher who teaches ELA and eighth grade civics. I love getting my students engaged in the community and politics. It's especially important to me because so many of our students are new from Ukraine who want to eventually take the citizenship exam. Of my homeroom of 37 students, roughly 20 were new to the U.S. and have adapted as well as can be expected. I'm so proud of all the high schools they and all my students got into. Chicago high school applications are basically practice for college. Anyway, after one of your episodes about the former guy pleading the fifth, I played the clips to my civics class. The kids loved it as they're uh, really engaged with all the Bill of Rights lessons. Now, on to the shit kids say a bit. Before school got out, I was called down to the principal's office. Still scary, even as a grown-up. There I was, met with a student who had done something naughty in the lunchroom. Instead of admitting to it, he was pleading the fifth. <laughs> oh my gosh. To the principal, and I was expected to get him to self-incriminate. He looked at me, looked at the principal, and said, Miss M said I didn't have to do it if it would get me in trouble. Tell her. It's my Fifth Amendment right. <laughs> Whoops. He ended up with detention anyway because it was the lunchroom full of kids, not a bathroom full of documents. While my principal was annoyed, I couldn't be prouder because I've either created Chicago's new, newest mob boss or a constitutional lawyer. Either way, I think he <laughs> and all my kids will be successful. No furry pod pet tax, but here's a pic of retired class pet Leo the Leopard Gecko, who is my rent-free roommate, and a picture of Lammy, who was there in the room I was born in and has been my snuggle buddy ever since. Oh, we got a whoopee. Ooh, it's a lamb. Oh, my goodness. And this gecko, this little leopard guy. So sweet. So cute. Thank I you, love everybody. I this story. The submission's fantastic. Oh, it's so good. I, tell her. Tell the principal. I, I can't. I shouldn't self. <laughs> I don't have to self-incriminate. That's <laughs> uh, so good. That's so great. Yeah, you write us when that, when that uh, student becomes an alder. Uh, all right, everybody. Thank you so much for sending in your stuff. Um, and again, tonight at 530 Join us for the um, the Steve Pearson fundraiser. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, any final thoughts before we get out of here? I do. I do indeed. And I don't know if you've covered this, but I'm sure we are going to. My dear friend, Sarah McBride, who is a transgender state senator in Delaware. If you're in Delaware and you voted for Sarah McBride, I know you are very happy with your decision. Well, my dear friend is running for Congress. She's running for the at-large congressional district. That opened up because Lisa Blunt Rochester is running for Senate. So Sarah, if, win, if she wins this race, will be the first out transgender congressperson. That's a big deal. And so I, I, if you have an opportunity to vote for Sarah McBride, she will represent your district 
in in the best way. She's a phenomenal human being. She cares about her constituents and she's doing a hell of a job up in Delaware. So I'm just really proud of her. I have no doubt we'll probably have her on the pod in the future, but uh, I just wanted to just give her a little shout out to my Sarah McBride. Thank you. Yeah, let her know. I'd love to have her come on. I will. Uh, give her talk a text. About, talk about her policies. Yeah. All right. Well, um, tomorrow is Friday. Well, for you, it's Thursday for us tomorrow, but uh, there's still going to be a lot of news. So we will cover it here and we will be here for you. Dana, you'll be here tomorrow, right? I will indeed. Heck yeah. Until then, everybody, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q. And take everyone you know with you. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. And the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. I'm Frances Callier. And I'm Angela V. Shelton. And we're Frangela. You know what you need in your life? Hmm. The Final Word Podcast. Yes, you do. That's right. It is the final word on all things political and pop cultural. Where we make real news real funny. Where we inspire you so you can hashtag resist. Subscribe and get a new episode of The Final Word Podcast each week. It's the news we think you need to hear. That's right. We think you need to hear it. Okay. Yeah, it's what we say, so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give. 